0: Welcome, everybody, to our live webinar, 9-11, An Architect's Guide, a three-part series. Today is June 22, 2022. I'm Richard Gage, AIA, member of the American Institute of Architects, and founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. There's a whole uh, story here uh, about my being uh, unleashed. I'm free. From the nest that I founded and nurtured for 15 years. Let me just show you. In fact, I'll prove it. <laughs> there we are. Richardgage 911.org is where you can find us now. and I encourage you to uh, see the whole story there uh, online at Richardgage 911.org. got a video. We've got a letter that I've explained it all. You can learn more about it. Um, there are now more than 3,500 architects and engineers signed on to the petition demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9 11. Now, uh, this, this uh, uh, webinar will be um, about the part three, because we looked at part two last week, part one before that, and uh, this is the Twin Towers and Extreme Heat, in which we'll be looking at the evidence of very high temperature incendiaries and chemical reactions involved in the destruction of these two skyscrapers. Uh, First, though, before we get started, let me introduce you to my wonderful assistant and wife, Ms. Gail gauge gail let's see if we can get you in here there we are hello, <laughs> hello richard hello and,
1: and everybody uh,
0: that's your uh wonderful avatar there uh uh because uh we'll be hearing from gail today but not seeing her if you want to see her you have to come back tomorrow when we interview eric <laughs> lawyer of firefighters for 9-11 truth isn't that right gail that's right. That's my your job. You're supposed to there. tell people what's going on here, not me.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, first, I just want to remind everybody that um, who is expecting us to have another a 9-11 con conference, virtual conference, the 9-11 con Shanksville conference has been postponed. It will be our winter conference. Mm-hmm. We just have so much going on with the um all the work that we're doing that we're just, it's going to be really difficult to do. We want to do a really good professional job, so we don't want to rush it. Um, And then one really exciting bit of information, if you missed it, uh, yesterday we had a podcast with G. Edward Griffin, just a great guy and boy, what a pioneer of the truth movement. Richard, you can explain more about Ed. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. Uh, Ed, of course, wrote the creature from Jekyll Island. He was awake before I was born. Uh, So we interviewed him. He talked about individualism and collectivism. He talked about the Red Pill Expo coming up in Indianapolis uh, on uh, July 9 and 10, where I will be speaking. Um, And so you can get your live stream tickets. Tell them about that, Gail.
1: Yes, so um, go to our website, and you can find there a promo code. We also included it, I believe, in the article that we wrote about yep. the conference coming up.
0: Yep, so, so see you- that on our website, richardgage911.org also, and you can get that promo code mm-hmm. there. And, 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 uh, and uh, get your early bird discount tickets.
1: Yes, yeah, it's a matter of timing. So if you go on their website, which is redpillexpo.com, and it'll be the 2022conference.org. <laughs> Sorry. dot org. Um, then you can find you can see the schedule there to find out the speakers. We also have a list of the speakers in the article that we just posted. So, and it explains what the different topics are that they're uh, specializing in and speaking on. It's going to be a super power packed conference expo that I would recommend everybody. At least look at the speakers and catch the ones, you know, of course, Richard, he's going to be speaking on the parallels of uh, the virus that nobody wants and nine eleven. Um, And so, yeah, I would just highly recommend everybody check that out. It's uh, especially with the discount. Um, and if you actually attend the conference, you also get a discount, I believe. No, that is just for the virtual tickets. But yes, it'll be a... a really really amazing conference.
0: I think there's early bird discounts for live and uh virtual.
1: Yeah, there is early bird, Up but to I believe June
0: the 30th that is.
1: Okay. But the promo code is for the virtual tickets, the the online uh,
0: there is no promo code actually. Uh there is only a link uh to the the website and um so uh at redpillexpo.org Okay, and 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 so, but the rush is to get your early bird discounts. Right, right. Anyway, all right. And then
1: we just had on uh, a couple days ago on our podcast, we had Captain Raul Angulo, the thirty-eight year veteran of the Seattle Fire Department. He was the guest of honor for the Protecting All Protectors Alliance at the National Fire Protection Association conference that we were at helping them at their booth a couple weekends ago
0: we had an evidence booth and it was uh, extraordinarily packed with people all the time we had 300 contacts from the National Fire Protection Association attendees who uh, really were curious about this third skyscraper that shouldn't have collapsed because they've never lost one before um, type 1 fire protected structure and uh, they go into these fires fire these buildings all the time not all the time but Every day, one of them around the world catches on fire from something or other, and they don't have a a problem with them coming down on top of them until now, if NIST is correct, in their final report that came out in 2008. By the way, that's the subject of our first part of this webinar series, 9-11, and Architect's Guide. So that'll be coming up the first weekend in July. Yes. Which is Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Pacific.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. And we have tomorrow, we have the retired Seattle firefighter, Eric Laurier, who was also at the NFPA conference and his organization that he founded. He founded Firefighters for 9-11 Truth and also more recently, the Protecting All Protectors Alliance, who is the organization that hosted the booth that we were at at the NFPA conference. So Eric was there also and just made some wonderful connections. And he just has a real heart for nine 11 truth. Yeah. He'll be our guest tomorrow on our podcast. And then we have Dave Morgan of the Morgan report coming up after that. And then
0: Dave the- Morgan is a silver expert and uh, you're going to want to hear what he has to say about inflation and the pr- coming price of silver.
1: Yeah, especially now with all the crazy things going on in the financial world. And then we have Dr. Meryl Nass coming up in July. She's the doctor who lost her license because she prescribed ivermectin to her patients with this so-called disease that nobody wants. Um, And with amazing results, as all the doctors were that were prescribing it for their patients with that disease. Um, So, yes, we will have her on coming up in July. And then we'll have part um, three is today of the um nine eleven on Architects Guide. So we will be taking a week off. Next week we will not have a, po- a webinar. And then we'll pick it back up again July 1st with part one again.
0: Fantastic. And so uh, will there be questions that you can uh, take from our viewers today? Of course. How does that work?
1: So, on the platforms that you guys are watching from, the ones we're streaming to, which is Facebook, LinkedIn, and I believe, are we still on one YouTube?
0: Yeah, we have one on YouTube, um, which is the channel.
1: That you're streaming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, um, so, it's kind of
0: a private channel, actually, because we're, we're banned yeah. for another week now on our regular channel, which is Richard Gage at 9
1: Yes. So go ahead and on the comment section underneath the video, whichever platform you're viewing from that you're watching from live stream, type in your questions and then they populate over on my screen and I copy and paste them over for Richard and I'll ask him at the very end of the webinar.
0: And we are streaming to Rumble, uh, but Gail, you might tune into Rumble, see if you can catch some questions there. Yes. Good idea. We'll be doing that regularly now.
1: Okay. All All
0: right. right. Well, thank you. Let's uh, let Gail go do her job and we'll see you at the end of the uh, time together today. And let me just uh, let people know that um, we do have, for those of you who want to know something about me, I was responsible for these three and $10 million gymnasiums and the construction documents in local San Francisco Bay Area uh, career where most of all of my career has been. Oh, that's interesting, a duplicate slide there. Um, I always try to improve our slideshow, so I wanna make sure I get this uh, to you and uh, keep it improving is what I mean. So also, um, Uh, the construction uh, administration for this $125 million high school. And then uh, we have also the um, uh, more recently uh, working on the uh, construction administration and construction documents for this $400 million mixed use project in Las Vegas uh, with six blocks of retail, mid-rise office space and parking structure, altogether about 1200 tons of fireproof, steel framing but i now work uh full-time educating architects engineers and others so what really happened at the world trade center using the material in these courses so uh, let's jump into it because of what we do here at richard gage 911 is use the scientific method what is it we have a question how do these towers come down Uh, we do some background research we make some observations we come up with our best guesses These are hypotheses as to how the towers came down. Maybe they came down uh, by the impact of the planes, maybe the ensuing fires. That's the official narrative. But maybe in addition, uh, there was explosions, as we learned in part two of this webinar series last week. And you'll find part two on our website, richardgage911.org. And maybe controlled demolition, in fact. We saw a lot of evidence for that last week. We'll be looking at more today. But we make predictions based on these hypotheses. We test them with experiments. We analyze the results. We draw conclusions. If the hypothesis is corroborated, we report the results in an open, transparent manner so all can build on the body of the work that we're doing. That's real important. If the hypothesis is not corroborated, what do we do? We go back, construct a new hypothesis, one that is hopefully supported by all of the above. And that's what we're doing uh, today uh, in In each part of this three-part series. We're constructing new hypotheses. Well, one of those steps is to perform some research. So we're going to do that uh, a piece of work that NIST failed miserably to do because if they did, they would have found that fire is certainly a destructive force, but it hasn't burned out high rises before 9-11 fires in, in in, say in office buildings, it's an organic uh, process following the laws of entropy. It, is chaotic. It burns out an area in roughly 20 minutes or so. And then moving on looking for fresh new fuel sources. So when we have a fire that, uh, does, uh, it isn't put out, uh, what actually happens is it only lasts in a given area for 20 or 30 minutes because that's all the fuel there is in that area or in any area of a modern office building. So uh, this is real important I mean we we have um, uh, office buildings that have, have burned on multiple floors as you'll see never come down okay so I got another improvement we we'll call it, we call it continuous improvement in the industry <laughs> uh, so, Wood frame buildings, what would happen there? Well, we'd expect them to fall over to the path of least resistance, uh, not straight down through the tons of structure that's cold, hard, and intact. What about a steel frame building? Well, they built an eight-story steel frame building on purpose, uh, well, to to burn it down on a purpose. And um, it's uh, a, a unique test uh, in the U.K., in 1995, they had incredible fuel loads, as you see. uh, And they tried to get those temperatures as hot as they possibly could. And what did they find?
3: This was the largest test of its kind ever conducted. It showed how unprotected steel can be distorted even by a normal office fire. But as is typical in steel buildings, the structural beams only slowly and progressively warped and sagged. There was no chance of a sudden collapse. In over 20 years, um, I have not seen, until recently, a protected steel structure that has collapsed in a fire.
0: Until recently, of course, uh, Jonathan Barnett, head of the FEMA team, and the author of the FEMA report, one of the main authors, uh, is referring to 9/11, uh, 9/11, when we had not two but three protected steel structures collapse due to fire for the first time in history. I mean, it's an incredible sh- uh, situation. What do they find? the that the, the structural system is inherently stable behavior uh, in the fires due to the highly redundant nature of the structural steel form. So the connections do not fail. And last week we looked at the very specific, uh, collapse initiation hypothesis of NIST regarding Building 7, the third tower to collapse on 9-11, where they fault the connections, in fact, of the steel frame members. And uh, never has this happened before. And the tests show that, that these are the strongest uh, points uh, uh, of the structure itself. Well, these. let's look at some buildings that that did collapse go down. Uh, These buildings exploded. We have thick, billowing, enormous pyroclastic-like clouds of expanding in cauliflower-shaped forms uh, due to the incredible hot gases from the chemical reaction and the ignition of the explosives. Uh, We have a a very um, highly defined line of these expanding hot gases, uh, a solid edge to it, if you will. We have pyroclastic-like clouds of pulverized uh, building materials and, and um, smoke. And uh, we, we have uh, witnesses that hear sounds of, ex- of explosions. They see flashes of light. If we have these features, we know we have explosions. Well, explosions can be uh, harnessed quite effectively, in fact, to bring down high-rise or any kind of building. Uh, What do they do? Uh, We have a half a dozen or so firms that are capable of doing this in the United States. They place shaped cutter charges against the columns and beams in the building. And then set them off in a, a very defined manner, usually starting at the lower floors and working their way up, as you see here. So they can bring the building down uh, into its own footprint if they want. Uh, and fire doesn't do this. So we're going to be seeing the what fire can do uh, versus uh, what, um, excuse me one second, uh, versus uh, what controlled demolition can do, uh, it's, it's really quite different. In controlled demolitions, we have a set of uh, features, uh, like a, a sudden onset of destruction, usually at the base of the structure, as I mentioned, uh, a straight down. Symmetrical collapse, if that's what they want, feature number three. That's because there's a patterned removal of column supports around the building, resulting in feature number four, the free fall acceleration or near free fall acceleration of the through the path of what was the greatest resistance, the thousands of tons of structural structural steel in the way, and resulting in the total dismemberment of the structural steel frame, broken up, ready for loading and shipment. Uh, there's limited damage to adjacent structures. That's one of the goals of controlled demolition. And there's a patterned explosions and flashes of light heard and seen by witnesses. Uh, and there's broken up concrete floors. You don't want to have to go back into these buildings and jackhammer those floors manually. Let the explosives do the work. There's isolated explosive ejections uh, called squibs in the controlled demolition industry. And uh, these uh, are are uh, seen uh, uh, at various parts of the building. Maybe they're mistimed. Uh, maybe not. Um, but uh, there's also uh, chemical evidence of explosions. Hold on one second. and uh, left behind in the residue right uh, that you're going to have this we've been looking we'll be looking at this specifically uh, in today's uh, webinar uh, there's this is all direct evidence of destruction with explosives fire doesn't create any of these features really let alone all of them so if you have all of them you're darn sure you have a controlled demolition on your hands and that's what we're what we've been looking at last week in part two of this series with the explosive nature of the twin towers. This week, part three, the extreme heat. Fire doesn't create these features, um, so why not? Well, we have the steel is so dense it conducts heat away from the source, so the steel rarely gets to its critical temperature of 1200 degrees Fahrenheit at which it can lose half of its strength like a steel beam and begin to sag we don't want that to happen so what do we do we put cementitious fireproofing on these beams two hour fire protection on the beams three hour fire protection on the columns so they will last that long in a fire well, guess what? That's plenty long enough. Why? Because fires don't la- last, even as admitted by NIST, in any one location for more than about 20 or 30 minutes. This is, so we have four to six times the duration of protection that we would ever need in these buildings. That's why we've never lost one until 9-11. We also keep The contractors from building tall buildings out of combustible materials and we keep the tenants from bringing in large fuel loads the the desks and chairs and carpeting and so forth are actually highly regulated as to their flame resistance ratings for these types of buildings just to keep any of that from becoming a problem we put fire sprinklers in these buildings and and uh, that's another reason we've never lost a steel frame fire protected high-rise building due to fire ever with additional circumstantial corroborative uh, evidence such as government documentation of uh, foreknowledge of the destruction of a building people know in advance when a controlled demolition is coming down yeah. in that controlled demolition well At least those experts without financial or political obligations that might sway their objective opinion in the matter as to whether uh, a destruction, a particularly, a particular building was destroyed with controlled demolition or not. With video documentation, all this can be proof of controlled demolition, a body of proof that we're going to apply now to. The World Trade Center Twin Towers. We looked, in fact, last week at feature number one, a sudden onset of destruction. Feature number two, explosions and flashes of light heard and seen by witnesses. Feature number three, straight down symmetrical collapse uh, outside the footprint of the building in the case of the Twin Towers. Uh, Feature number four, isolated explosive ejections called squibs occurring 20, 30, 60 stories even down below the zone of what we're told is a gravitational collapse. Um, Feature, uh uh-oh, let's see, there we go, Uh, near free fall acceleration, feature five, the building is falling faster and faster and faster through the tons and tons of intact, cold, hard steel. So it's not even slowing down. Uh, that's a dead giveaway. And that we saw the total shattering of the structural steel uh, frame of these towers all the way down to the ground. We have uh, lateral ejection of, of structural steel elements. Um, uh, 80 miles an hour, laterally, landing up to 600 feet in every direction uh, outside the towers, um, destroying the buildings uh, around them. We have uh, pyroclastic-like clouds of pulverized concrete, 90,000 tons of concrete in each building, pulverized to a fine powder. Uh, All of that, we found, was direct evidence of destruction with explosives. and fire doesn't create any of those features, let alone all of them. So what we're looking at today as we continue with part three of this series is a pyroclastic-like clouds of pulver... Well, uh, interesting. Uh, uh, pyroclastic-like clouds is what we're looking at. And that is... Um, given to us as an admonishment from the National Fire Protection Association Guide 921 for fire and explosion investigations. They say, look for thermal effects, in fact. Well, we do. And what do we find? Um, Large volumes of gas and the large amount of heat released in chemical explosions causing rapidly expanding plumes of hot gases. If you have these features, you know you have a problem that might lead you from the fire hypothesis uh, over to an incendiary hypothesis, which we're looking at today, because that's exactly what we do have. These ejection in cauliflower-shaped forms um, emitted out of the towers, in fact, uh, 10 times the volume of the tower in just 30 seconds is what we're seeing racing away in every direction, 35 miles an hour. Uh, at, at an incredible source of heat responsible for these uh, cloud formations. Uh, much more heat than we have available in the towers at the time of the collapse. In fact, these are diminished fires that are oxygen-starved and thus cooler uh, and Indicated by the thick black smoke. So, where is all of the heat coming from to produce those clouds? We're looking for something on the order of this. And that's what we're going to find today as we proceed and look at the evidence of molten steel and iron. Let's start with Massimo Mizuko's New Pearl Harbor.
3: Possibly the most important unexplained phenomenon at Ground Zero are the extremely high temperatures registered under the rubble for many weeks after the collapses. On September 16, NASA shot these thermographic images of Ground Zero, indicating unusually high temperatures at the base of the three collapsed buildings. Despite the heavy rains of September 14, the hotspots registered peak temperatures of more than 1,300 degrees under the rubble. Ten days later, the fires kept burning. What's to explain, Governor, the smoke that still comes out There's of the tower? There's still fire down below. There is such an incredibly deep pile of rubble. and The, the tower goes down five, six stories underground. Well, we had uh, ABC uh, crews come back just in the last few minutes and telling us there are real flames coming out of the base of the trade towers. For the rescue workers, this became an additional burden on their already gruesome task
2: out still on the rubble. It's still, uh, I believe, 1100 degrees. The guy's boots just melt within a few hours.
3: On October 8th, the hot spots under the three collapsed buildings remained clearly visible. Six weeks later, as the excavations progressed, the situation seemed only to get worse. Oh,
0: it's unbelievable. And this is six weeks later, almost six weeks
3: later. And as we get closer... To the center of this, it gets hotter and hotter. It's probably 1,500 degrees. We've had some small windows into um, what we thought was a board at some point, and it looked like a, uh, an oven. You know, it was just roaring inside. It was just a bright, bright reddish-orange color. The consequences of such extreme temperatures were quite visible on the steel that was being extracted from the level. The graphics were, were pulling stuff out, um, big sections of iron that were literally on fire on the other end. They would hit the air and burst into flames, which was uh, pretty spooky to see. We were creating an air pocket by moving steel, fueling the fire from the ground. But, you know, these underground fires were just uh, fires of hell. If you could make a video of what you perceive hell to look like, from fire shooting up at times, that's what would happen. You would be in the middle. It would look like steel, and then fire just would pop up. Firemen were coming out with an iron weapon, the boots were really melting. And then the hose would come over and they would try and put that part out. My God there. Charlie Vitchers was a supervisor of removal operations at Ground Zero. From PBS's America Rebuilds page, we read, Vitchers' crew picked up 40 to 60 foot long pieces of steel impaled in a pile, where the bottom 20 feet could be glowing red hot. Vitchers said, Trucks loaded with steel would pass by and you could feel the back of your neck burning, standing 20 feet away. In an article called A Dangerous Worksite, the U.S. Department of Labor wrote, underground fires burned at temperatures of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. This was confirmed by Mayor Giuliani. There were fires of 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit below the ground. The Journal of the American Society of Safety Engineers wrote, thermal measurements taken by helicopter each day showed underground temperatures ranging from 400 to more than 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Eight weeks later, and the fires still had not subsided. You see how this debris is still smoking? That's when the fires are still burning. Eight weeks later, we still got fires burning. So, I mean, these things are burning. At one point, I think they were about 2,800 degrees. 11 weeks later, and the fires kept burning, as recently as the end of November, it was still 1,100 degrees down underneath the rubble. As November turned into December, ice was noticed in the mornings above the ground, but the debris underneath was still smoldering. The, the weird thing was it was very cold when we were up there. I believe it was it was in the middle of the winter, but the ground wasn't frozen. The ground kind of like bubbled
0: underneath your feet, which was kind of strange to me.
3: It took until December 19, more than three months after the collapses, for the last underground fire to be extinguished.
0: Well, this is pretty incredible because we have first responders crying out uh, about this inc- these incredible temperatures. And this uh, structural engineer says red-hot steel being pulled from deep within the pile, David Scott of Arab Associates dripping from the molten steel says this firefighter saw pools of literally molten steel at the world trade center says peter tully president of the of the cleanup company Uh, seeing the molten steel uncovering red hot metal beams ranging from molten metal which was still red hot weeks after the event why are we talking about this because office fires only get to be typically about five or 600 degrees, maybe a thousand degrees, on rare occasions, 1500 degrees Fahrenheit. But we're talking about temperatures exceeding 2,000 degrees to 3,000 degrees with all of this evidence, as you'll see, of red hot molten steel being that hot, completely unaccountable uh, in the official narrative. Uh, molten steel at the heart of the tower's remains, streams of molten metal that leaked from the hot cores and flowed down, metal dripping from a beam, molten steel beams. The end of the beam would be dripping with molten steel. Mark Loiseau, president of uh, one of the other cleanup uh, contractors companies, molten steel was encountered primarily during excavation of debris. There are. Photos and videos of the molten steel being dipped out by the buckets of the excavators. Like you see here in this uh, video, liquid molten metal falling out of the crab claw from the excavator. A river of steel flowing. Who says this? The World Trade Center structural engineer himself, Leslie Robertson and his associate, Richard Garlock. The debris past the columns was red-hot, molten, running, like you see pouring out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse. Can it be molten aluminum? Unlikely. NIST says, uh, oh, this is molten aluminum from the airplane, but uh, The problem is is that the color gives us the temperature. We're exceeding 2,500 degrees. So whether it's aluminum or steel or iron, it is still 2,500 degrees. Unaccountable in the official story. Even concrete melted. It's in the police museum. Concrete doesn't melt until... 3,200 degrees Fahrenheit. How do we get temperatures of 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit? Fire temperatures so intense that concrete melted like lava around everything in its path, including this handgun in Building 6, where this exhibit was pulled from steel members in the debris pile that appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily high temperatures. Wait. What are the temperatures that it takes to evaporate steel? 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Now we're up to 4,000, twice the temperature's more than, way more than twice the temperatures, three times the temperatures that office fires can even get to. So what's really going on here? Jonathan Barnett of the FEMA report uh, is onto something here. I saw melting of girders in the World Trade Center, says this structural engineer, Abulhazan Astani Azal from UC Berkeley. He documents it. This piece of steel actually is from World Trade Center, Building 7. If you remember the Salvador Dali paintings with the clocks that are kind of melted, it's kind of like that. This could only happen if you get steel yellow hot or white hot, perhaps around 2,000 degrees. And how about the deformation of the steel at the World Trade Center? And what could have caused all of this?
3: Another proof of extremely high temperatures reached during the collapse are the twisted and mangled steel beams found at Ground Zero.
0: Architects, engineers, people who work with steel, welders have just never seen the level of destruction and the level of deformation of this material in our lives.
3: You saw steel, some of the thickest steel I've ever seen, bent like a pretzel. This eight-ton steel i beam is six inches thick. It was selected to be preserved for future generations with a near-perfect horseshoe-like bend formed during the collapse. I found it hard to believe that it actually bent because of the size of it and how there's no cracks in the iron. It bent without almost a single crack in it. It takes thousands of degrees to bend steel like this. In fact, the temperature of 2,800 degrees mentioned before is not casual at all, as that's exactly the temperature at which steel
0: melts. So we're getting somewhere here. In fact, FEMA did their own report before NIST. NIST is the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who took over the investigative process after FEMA's report in two thousand and two, the Building Team Assessment, the Building Performance Assessment Team report, and. FEMA had documented in a metallurgical examination a one-inch column thinned to half-inch thickness, its edges curled like a paper scroll, thinned to almost razor-sharpness. H- how does this happen to steel? They documented very carefully. Rapid oxidation, they say. Sulfidation intergranular melting liquid iron that's molten iron that's 2800 degrees minimum that's when steel begins to melt sulfur formed during this hot corrosion attack on the steel where did the sulfur come from no clear explanation they don't know where the sulfur came from well It's perhaps the deepest mystery uncovered in the investigation, and yet it's completely ignored by NIST. In fact, NIST threw out the entire Appendix C metallurgical report from the FEMA report when they took over. We never saw it again. They speculate in a set of very frequently asked questions that the sulfur is present in gypsum wallboard that was prevalent in the interior partitions. Wait a minute. Sulfur is... Sulfur, inert calcium sulfate, is what's in gypsum wallboard, and it's never turned around and attacked the steel that it's designed to protect, in fact, for the last 100 years or so. Besides, you can do an experiment. Try to get the hottest office fires you possibly can on a steel beam. Put a broken-up gypsum board in there. See if you can get a hot sulfur corrosion attack. Nope, you can't. Experiment is the arbiter of competing hypotheses. NIST did no experiments about this. Where was it coming from? The sulfur. It, uh, it burned. That smell of sulfur can never block out that smell. It haunts me, says John feel who was one of the iron workers injured on the site of the isle. So, who do we have from the official narrative trying to explain away this molten material, none other than the co-project leader, John Gross.
2: First of all, let's go back to your basic uh, premise that there was uh, a pool of molten, molten steel. Um, I know of absolutely nobody, and no eyewitness who said so, nobody who's produced it.
0: But witnesses testify otherwise. You'd get down below and you'd see molten steel. Oh, molten man. steel running down the channel rails. Like you're in a foundry, right? Wow, I, I it was like,
3: wow. Actually melted beams where it was molten steel that was being dug out. Underground, it was still so hot that molten metal dripped down the sides of the wall. <laughs> the cleanup was very difficult in the beginning. Steel was coming out red in certain areas from the first couple of weeks. This fused element of of steel, mo- molten steel. And they pulled out a big block of concrete, and there was a like a little river of steel
0: flowing. Here he is on the pile finding the very piece of evaporated steel that was cut off and provided to FEMA to do their report for this Building 7 piece of steel, finding hot sulfur corrosion attack on the steel. I mean... His evidence is, his shadow is all over this evidence. So we have the jet fuel that is cited as being this massive destructive force. Well, the manufacturer of the jet fuel, ME Petroleum, says it burns only 600 degrees in open air. And of course, that's what we have. In fact, we looked last week, NIST said 90% of the jet fuel was burned up outside the building. The rest of it was gone in 10 minutes. It simply served to start normal office fires, or what became loosely uh, normal office fires after the jet fuel was gone. So um, it's... It It's not any more dangerous than desks or chairs in terms of its burning capabilities. But the problem is that we have temperatures uh, from this molten material indicating how hot it is. It's 2,500 degrees. And so where can that come from? Not the jet fuel, not the desks or chairs, not anything else in the building. NIST has an answer to this very frequently asked question. Any molten steel in the wreckage was more likely due to the high temperature resulting from long exposure to combustion within the pile rather than short exposure to the fires or explosions while the buildings were standing. Hmm. Is that even true? There's a law. It's called the conservation Of energy in a closed system, such as fires burning under pulverized concrete powder in the basements of the World Trade Center, the amount of energy is fixed. You can't create any more energy inside the system. The fire, in other words, can't burn hotter than the capacity of the fuel that it's burning. You can only convert that energy you have from one form to another. In other words, the heat is dissipated into the air it's not increased under the pile how about feature number 10 Uh, what could be responsible for all this heat if jet fuel and office fires weren't could thermite have produced all that molten metal well what is thermite anyway
2: An incendiary used by the military, thermite is a compound of iron oxide and aluminum, which when ignited, sustains an extreme heat reaction, creating molten iron. In just two seconds, thermite can reach temperatures over 4500 degrees Fahrenheit, quite enough to liquefy steel. We know that open air fires cannot burn hot enough to melt steel but metal had melted at the base of the towers. Appendix C of the FEMA report describes sulfur residues on the World Trade Center steel. The New York Times called this the deepest mystery of all. Sulfur slightly lowers the melting point of iron, and iron oxide and iron sulfide had formed on the surface of the structural steel. Sulfur used with thermite is called thermate producing even faster results.
0: Now we might be getting somewhere here, because if thermite were used, it would explain the presence of 4,000 degree temperature, because that's what it produces. It would explain the sulfur, because sulfur's added to thermite to become thermate. Much more effective at cutting through steel. It would also explain the, the the presence of elemental iron, which we're going to be looking at a lot of evidence for. In just a minute, we haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for a hundred years. Where does the uh, all of this molten iron? come from? Well, NFPA says, uh, gosh, look for unusual residues that could arise from thermite and other pyrotechnic materials. Well, NIST says we found no evidence to suggest that explosives were used. Well, a year later, when pressed, they admit we never looked tested for the presence of explosive residue. You won't find what you're unwilling to look for. But others did. In fact, it wasn't that hard to find. Stephen Jones is one of them. He's a nuclear physicist, formerly from Brigham Young University. He notes that thermite would produce a characteristic burn pattern, a white, yellow, hot liquid metal like we see flowing out of the South Tower minutes prior to its collapse, and like we see pouring out of the crab claw excavators, 2,500 degrees is the temperature of this material based on its color. That's just the physics of these materials. Well, Stephen Jones notes that the thermitic reactions would produce a characteristic burn pattern, a whitish cloud of aluminum oxide ash, like we see rising off the material pouring out of the south tower. And like we see trailing these structural steel members out of the World Trade Center. Wait a minute. Why Are the steel members, in the first place, why are they ejected 80 miles an hour, as we saw last week, 600 feet in every direction, but, and horizontally, why are they trailing thick white smoke clouds? Structural steel is not flammable in office fire conditions, not even with jet fuel, as we discussed already. Why are the ends of these beams on fire? Well, it looks more like a volcanic eruption in the Tongan Sea with upward, outward, arching streamers. The geometry of fireworks... Solid objects ejected, trailing, thick white smoke clouds. You getting it? Both of these towers had the same identical destruction mechanism. So this isn't just true for one of the towers. Let's listen to one of these firefighters just once again.
3: The grapplers were were pulling stuff out, uh, big sections of iron that were literally on fire on the other end. They would hit the air and burst into flames.
0: Burst into flames? Well, why are steel members bursting into flames when they're simply picked up out of the pile? This isn't wood or paper. This is steel. What is the signature of thermite? Stephen Jones says it would leave behind a unique chemical evidence also, depending on the type of thermite, common elements such as iron, aluminum, copper, calcium, silicon, but more unusual elements also, such as fluorine and manganese left behind in the residue. These elements on the periodic table of the elements. Well, somebody had a 40-pound chunk of meteorite, is what they called them, because that's what it looks like. They sent a chip from this piece to Stephen Jones for analysis. He does electron microprobe data, finds that it's predominantly iron, not aluminum as claimed by NIST and these so-called debunkers. He rules out molten aluminum from the jet planes right away. He finds that it has abundant manganese. So he can also rule out structural steel as a major component. It has aluminum, sulfur, and potassium. Clear indicators of ignited thermite. So the molten metal is, in fact, the residue of thermite. And to clinch the deal for him and others, uh, it has manganese and fluorine in abundance. Why would these be in the mix? Well, manganese is from the potassium permanganate, commonly used as an oxidizer in thermite. Fluorine is used in sol-gel-type thermite charges. Very special, high-end, if you will, thermite charges. Hence, these are often present in the World Trade Center residue and are clearly a part of a thermite fingerprint. But there's so much more because sol-gels would leave something else for us, 1,3-diphenylpropane. Was that found In the World Trade Center dust. Well, the EPA finds in their analysis one molecule present at levels that dwarfed all others 1,3-diphenylpropane. We never observed it in any other sampling we've ever done, says Eric Schwartz of the EPA. Well, somebody else, a sculptor of this sculpture from the World Trade Center, towers, being built in Canada, sends Stephen Jones also a piece of slag, on which he performs X-ray fluorescence analysis, finds iron, sulfur, potassium, manganate. These elements, again proving the evidence of ignited thermite in the ends of these beams. You can do your own shaped cutter charge in your backyard. And indeed, like John Cole, civil engineer, proved, it cuts right through steel. Just like you'd expect. It
3: was reduced in thickness with gaping holes thin to almost razor sharpness with a Swiss cheese appearance.
0: Wait. Where did we see that razor sharpness? Oh, yeah. In the metallurgical examination performed on the World Trade Center Twin Towers Steel by FEMA in 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 their Appendix C. Huh. You see how all this begins to tie so neatly together? Well, there were shaped cutter charges designed for use in thermite well before september 11th 2001 like this apparatus uh which was patented to project with to project thermite charges in a particle stream uh, on the order of hundreds of milliseconds much faster in fact than high energy explosives like c4 and rdx and cutting through much thicker sections of steel too by the way you had six inch slabs of steel in the columns at the base of the twin towers well there are devices whose casings themselves are made of consolidated, consumable thermite, nothing left behind but pools of molten iron. The evidence is gone. Why would they have chosen thermite, the perpetrators of the crime of the century? Well, they surely would have been caught if they used more commonly used explosives like C4 and RDX, which provide very loud audio signatures, bangs, and very bright visual signatures, flashes. So they, it appears that they wanted to tone down this evidence. But it leaves a lot of other evidence. What was found in the fine powder so ubiquitous on 9-11 spread three square miles across lower Manhattan. This concrete powder. What else did it have in it? The U.S. Geological Survey finds billions of what? Previously molten iron microspheres. Let's break that down. There Cooled molten iron. They're in spherical shapes. Up to 6% of some of these dust samples are composed of these previously molten iron microspheres. About four tons altogether by extrapolation, you can calculate it roughly. R.J. Lee, also finds it. R.J. Lee Group is an independent international environmental consulting firm. It's not background dust like you see on the left because those are not spherical. We're not talking about that. We're talking about spherical shaped. Previously molten iron. R.J. Lee says these are formed during the event, not before by the builders or welders at putting the towers together, not afterward by the iron workers taking the towers apart, but during the actual event. It's used as a signature component, in fact, by the EPA to distinguish World Trade Center dust from common office building dust. Where does it come from? Well, here is a controlled experiment with thermite, just a small amount. And we see what look like sparks, but which are liquid molten iron, which fall into the pan, and it becomes evident that they're spherical shaped. So you can do this experiment at home. In fact, you can buy thermite, 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 On eBay, how do they get spherical? Well, aerosolized liquids form themselves under pressure into spheres. That's because of the surface tension. And uh, that's just the way it is. That's what raindrops are, too. Could that be what is toasting the tops of these cars parked all around the World Trade Center in this very high heat event? These people were running from hot clouds. What else was found in the World Trade Center dust, though? Because this team's work was not done. Seven samples altogether, independently collected, sent to the team, like the one from Jeanette McKinley's apartment on the right, And four of these samples, they had time to do detailed studies on them. These are, they, they, the samples all contain dual-layered red-gray chips. Red on one side, gray on the other. So it looks like they were applied with a fluid or as a fluid. The largest ones are 16th of an inch long. These are very small. They thought they were paint, of course, but they look like primer paint, but they're attracted by a magnet. They have an extremely high iron content. So they do some detailed work on the red layer, and they find what? Iron, oxide, aluminum, powder, in addition to oxygen, carbon, silica. Well, what's the ingredients of thermite, iron oxide and aluminum, doing in these chips that occur in all the World Trade Center dust samples? They get real curious, right? Zoom into the red layer 50,000 times with an electron microscope and find what? rhomboidal-shaped iron oxide crystals and aluminum platelet-like shaped structures at the nanoscale, a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Well, wait a minute. Why do we have nanoparticles of the ingredients of thermite in these chips in all the World Trade Center dust. They get real curious, of course, again, and they put them in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter, and they ignite. Just like the previously published peer-reviewed literature on this subject at about 425 degrees Celsius, these samples also ignite. What do they produce? When they ignite, they produce molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres found in the World Trade Center dust and documented by the US Geological Survey and RJ Lee. So, you see, this is an inherently consistent, re- experimentally reproducible set of self corroborating data that could put a lot of people away for a long time for the crime of the century. Because we know how the towers came down. There is no doubt, as if we didn't know where these molten iron microspheres came from. They are found attached to partially ignited red-gray chips, as you see here and here. When you get these particles down to the nanoscale, the surface volume collectively increases exponentially. So you have an instantaneous chemical reaction. They've engineered an incendiary to become more explosive. It's not made in a cave in Afghanistan. It's made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories. So we know where to look if journalists, well paid journalists, are doing their job and not afraid of top-down directives to censor this data. And criminal prosecutors who are doing their job and grand juries who are doing their job could bring justice, real justice, to the families of the 9-11 victims. Well, they conclude that the red layer is active, unreacted thermitic material incorporating nanotechnology. It's a highly energetic pyrotechnic. 25-page peer-reviewed paper in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal, 2009. Look it up. Download it. Send it to your local authorities, your elected representatives. How could it have been applied Well, curiously, there were fireproofing upgrades in each of the towers. Five or so floors above and below the point of jet plane impacts. The year before the jet plane impacts, in fact. So, we really need an investigation that goes a lot further course, than just, well, the the question here, of course, is, were these really fireproofing upgrades? Or was it a cover operation for the installation of liquid-applied thermite? We need a real investigation, don't we? This is direct evidence of destruction with incendiaries in the case of the evidence we're looking at today fire doesn't create any one of these features let alone all of them fires is hot causing those kinds of temperatures no in fact thermal imaging videos from nist's re- f- release which we only know because of a freedom of information act request reveals temperatures only 2 or 300 degrees fahrenheit at the time of the collapse, in fact, uh, there they are cooler fires, as we've seen. Um, what did the experts say about this evidence? Ron Brookman, structural engineer, signed on to the petition demanding a new investigation. One of 3,500 architects and engineers says it doesn't look anything like a heat-induced gravitational collapse mechanism. Why did the complete collapse of the Twin Towers become inevitable, as claimed by NIST? Why would all 110 stories drop straight down to the ground in 10 seconds, pulverizing the contents to dust and twisted steel? Ed Munyak, fire protection engineer, The fires were very weak. NIST reports confirm that the steel temperatures were low. World Trade Center collapses have no resemblance to any previous high rise fire. What about the evidence? Surely, in the most incredible structural failures ever, the steel was preserved so forensic investigators could get their hands on it. I mean, was this, in fact, the destruction of evidence in a crime scene? Let's listen to Abulhazan Astani Azel once again, structural engineer from UC Berkeley.
2: After 9-11, we realized that Port Authority of New York and New Jersey has sent all this steel that we need to study. That's why I'm here to study steel. Has sent all the steel to recycling plant to go to China for recycling. For what? For 15 cents a pound. Just nothing. And all the evidence of steel went to melting pot.
0: The evidence of the steel went to the melting pot to China for recycling before investigators could get their hands on it. They only had about 250 pieces of steel. And we've shown you what was found on those pieces of steel. Mike Bloomberg, mayor of New York, later says, just looking at a piece of metal generally doesn't tell you anything. He's responding to the cries for the stopping of the destruction of the evidence. He's saying we have computers these days to do all of that. You know about computers, garbage in, garbage out. So Bill Manning, editor-in-chief of Fire Engineering Magazine, cries out crucial evidence that could answer many questions is on the slow boat to China, showing an astounding ignorance of government officials to the value of a thorough scientific investigation. The destruction and removal of evidence must stop immediately. But it didn't. And easily the largest and most perplexing structural failures in history. 400 truckloads per day uh, were uh, removing the steel out and taking it putting it on barges to ship to china for recycling this is the illegal destruction of evidence in a crime scene which is why in our use of the scientific method so many are convinced that this was not the jet planes in the fires but explosions and controlled demolition with both high energy explosives and incendiaries that's what the evidence shows today incendiaries and last week Uh, high-energy explosives. Altogether, uh, this is evidence of destruction uh, with explosives, not destruction by fire, with additional circumstantial corroborative evidence and testimony. This has been proof of controlled demolition, which we've been bringing to your attention, and which uh, 3,500 architects and engineers, after having it brought to their attention Uh, are publicly demanding, setting their reputation at risk, demanding a new investigation into the destruction. So uh, in a minute, I'm going to take your questions. So I want you to go ahead and put them on the, if you're watching live uh, on the chat so that Gail can pick up those questions. And while you're there, uh, uh, Online, go to richardgage911.org and give us your email address so that we can get you the latest efforts uh, we're making toward getting a real investigation. The latest evidence that we're packaging, the latest legal actions we're taking in partnership with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, get informed. Get the information. It's on our website, richardgage911.org. The brochures outline this information uh, as you are hearing it uh, today. And you can give these brochures, uh, you can buy a hundred for ten bucks. Uh, and also, um, look at the documentaries that we have, uh, look at the presentations we've made uh, 700 presentations almost. Uh, around the world in 24 countries and 100 American cities. Look at the interviews we've done, more than 650 of them. They're all available. Well, many of them are available. The street activism that we've done that you can model your street activism after. Uh, And while you're at our website, sign the petition. Well, it's not on our website. It's over at AE911truth.org. Sign the petition over there, and donate to the good folks at AE911Truth as well, but support us here at Richard Gage 911. We have uh, incredible quantities of work we're doing full time between Gail and I, about a hundred hours a week uh, we're putting in. It's an incredible amount of work just to keep up. And ten dollar don't one time donation, hundred dollar one time donation, a thousand dollar one time donation. Or you can become a member of Richard Gage 9-11. Sign up and become a sustaining supporter uh, for $7 a month. Now that's a latte every month. That will keep us doing what we have to do if we're ever going to get a real investigation because we are the tip of the spear of the 9-11 truth movement. And we will never stop not while you're supporting us. And if you can't support us financially, volunteer. We've got lots of jobs uh, for you. Tabling, in fact, out on the street, Uh, website development here at uh, online at richardgage911.org podcasting. uh, Maybe you know about that social media promotion. We've got to get out there better. Technical writing, foreign language translation, Phone calls, reaching out to radio and TV interviewers to get us out to the mainstream. Uh, video and audio editing, of course, we need that kind of help as well. And maybe you know somebody who's of particular importance to us. Put us in touch with them. We'll talk to them. You can steps on your own. Uh, just contact your elected representatives, television, radio, newspaper. Tell everybody you know. Or screen the DVDs. Uh, with your friends, relatives, colleagues. Share the brochures one-on-one with everybody out there. Download the World Trade Center 7 computer analysis from Professor uh, Leroy Halsey, who found that FIRE did not cause the collapse of World Trade Center 7 in this $300,000 four-year study at the University of Alaska. He found that World Trade Center 7 did not experience a progressive collapse. It was actually a global collapse caused by the near-simultaneous failure of all of its columns. It's documented in this excellent documentary by Dylan Avery, and uh, you can get it over at ae911truth.org, where you can also learn about the request for correction, where NIST is now being sued uh, for fraud, essentially, uh, in their final report. If you make a, an appointment with your elected representatives, uh, representative one at a time, I will go and give the presentation in a 10-minute telephone call for you. All you have to do is call them and set up an appointment. It's really that easy. Do it. We'll use the Bobby McIlvain Act to get them to submit it uh, in a select Committee in the House or Senate, and we're often running. The legislation is all written for you for a new investigation. We're suing the U.S. Attorney in Manhattan because we have sent sixty exhibits of the evidence you've been seeing in this sem- in this seminar series, and uh, because under law they're required to give this information as we petitioned to a special grand jury. That hasn't happened yet, and that is an active legal case, which is why we're making the film 9-11 Crime Scene to Courtroom. Mick Harrison, Litigation Director for Lawyers Committee for 9 Inquiry, and I will be filmed in a courtroom, and that is likely to be in Indiana. Why? Ask me later, I'll tell you. We have to get this film made. We've raised $40,000. We have a $120,000 budget. We've got $80,000 left to raise. And so join us. It's going to be an incredible effort getting the 60 exhibits, bringing them to life before the grand jury. It will be submitted to the special grand jury. So now you know. The story is on our website. RichardGage911.org. Look for this graphic. Read it. Help us out. We need every every one of you uh, supporting this at small levels and large levels. Mick Harrison, litigation director, it will speech be featured on that film f- with regard to the legal aspects of this evidence of the grand jury and their work that they need to do. Um, and we have five. Commissioners in New York demanding a new investigation. Fire commissioners. Uh, A unanimous resolution passed. You better believe that when the entire fire service of New York is on board, we'll be an unstoppable force. That, in parallel with the work by AE911 Truth to assist Matt Campbell to gain justice for his brother Jeff in the U.K., with a new inquest into his brother's death. He was murdered with explosives. The evidence of his body remains show exactly that. That's in play legally also. Download the Beyond Misinformation booklet, 50-page booklet. You can buy it also at ae911truth.org. Because in it you'll find the evidence that our landmark documentary 9-11 9-11 explosive evidence experts speak out spells out for you. Take a look because this is the documentary that you want to place in the hands of your family members, your colleagues, your co-workers. It's very clear. I don't want to is.
3: be involved in conspiracy theories. I, You know, there are lots of them. They can go on. We can... Sp- speculate on that forever what we really need to know is how how those buildings came down
1: world trade center 7 collapsed because of fires fueled by
3: office furnishings it did not collapse from explosives or from fuel oil fires
0: to undermine scientific integrity is to undermine our democracy
3: this is what nist has done denied and ignored crucial evidence The American people absolutely need the truth of 9-11. More than
0: 1,500 architects and engineers and 12,000 others, including many scientists, have signed the petition calling for a scientific investigation of the destruction of the Twin Towers and World Trade Center building study. The report issued by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, referred to as NIST, was not valid science.
3: They're talking about a single columnar collapse or failure that
0: resulted in a total collapse of the building.
3: Building number seven uh, descended in free fall for the first 100 feet, which uh, means that there was absolutely no resistance to the descent whatsoever. So all of the columns really needed to be severed at the same time. The symmetry is the smoking gun. NIST has admitted it went into free fall for eight stories. You don't
2: need to be an engineer or an architect to see what happened to
0: those buildings. This is a bit controlled demolition. Secularity. What I saw, it was a classic
3: implosion. The center of the core, the penthouse area starts to move first, and then the building follows along with it. NIST excluded the documents from FEMA and Appendix C that documented the evidence of melting steel.
2: In an office fire, you cannot generate enough heat to melt steel.
3: There were these iron microspheres present in all of the dust samples. They needed to have been formed in extremely high temperatures all the characteristics of the microspheres, along with what I see in the attack of the uh, the beams that were actually found, tell me that thermite was involved. In the dust, what we have found is a modern version of thermite, which we call nanothermite. NIST concedes that they found no evidence
0: for explosives. So, so then we ask them, well, you did you look? And they said, no, we did not look for explosives or residues of explosives.
2: And in fact, the evidence is overwhelming that. Oops.
3: These red-grade
1: crystals are very high-temperature incendiaries. And
3: And we have watched as scientific integrity has been undermined. Come on. And scientific research politicized in an effort to advance predetermined ideological agendas.
1: If this is a crime, I think everybody agrees it's a crime.
2: Evidence was removed from the scene of the crime. You can't do science when you are deprived of the evidence and when your hypothesis is the least valid instead of the most likely. But the most likely hypothesis in in the case of building seven wasn't even mentioned.
0: Uh,
2: This is not science.
0: No, that's not science. And uh, if you're, if you're uh, th- thank goodness I have a, a cell phone, by the way. I'm able to connect <laughs> with, uh, with uh, people in real time, such as Gail, who's got your questions uh, coming right up. But let me just tell you this first. Um, we have the, um, there we go, that documentary uh, you can watch on our website, RichardGage911.org. It's on YouTube also. You can purchase the DVD at AE911Truth.org. So, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's bring on Gail and see if she has been able to collect uh, from you guys uh, the questions that uh, are relevant to our webinar today hi gail hey richard doing good
1: i am doing good we do not have any questions but we've got okay. some good comments
0: all right mm-hmm. that makes it easier on me
1: it sure I- does I'll
0: sit back like this you go mm-hmm. ahead and read those comments
1: all right you comment on them and you tell me when to stop uh so jeffrey says write your congressman and you were just talking about that too a yeah. criminal deep state has hijacked our great republic. But you would absolutely
0: you. true. I mean, yeah. uh, we this country has been hijacked. I mean, since we don't have a lot of technical questions, uh, perhaps none, uh, we have the opportunity to comment on the crime of the century. Um, uh, the current uh crime over the last two years, notwithstanding. Um, uh, Both of them need uh, massive justice and exposure, and the people need to wake up. And our congresspersons need to be thrown out of office if they're not willing to support a real, independent uh, 9/11 investigation. We think that starts at the World Trade Center. Why? Because the World Trade Center evidence is more clear, less cut. Con- well certainly controversial. It's less um, obscure than, uh, for instance, Shanksville, the Pentagon, the hijackers, and so forth. The 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 physical evidence, which is scientific, forensic, irrefutable and overwhelming evidence at the World Trade Center that you've been watching today, uh, yeah. will bring down the deep state. And uh, yeah, it's been a long time. It didn't happen instantly it's going to happen faster than uh, the evidence uh, waking up uh, the American people regarding the assassination of JFK, for instance, to which this issue can be compared as a deep state psychological false flag operation. And um, this one is still in your face. COVID is waking up a lot of people. Also, uh, this one, uh, is, uh, uh, working hand-in-hand with COVID. In fact, um, 9-11 and COVID, there are so many parallels. And if we don't stop and look at the patterns between the two, which I've been asked asked by G. Edward Griffin to bring to the attention of the 800 or more attendees at the Red Pill Expo this year, personally, in a presentation in Indiana, July Nine, uh, that, uh, those, those connections, those, those connecting those dots is extremely important and powerful. And if you're one of those people that can't make the connection, I encourage you to watch the presentation rather than look away in horror at the thought that we might also have been deceived, uh, regarding COVID and the overreaction to it and the criminal um, uh, solution to this criminal problem, then uh, you have some chances to avail yourself of the uh, presentation that I'm going to be making on July 9th, because with the early bird discount, as Gail mentioned to you, you can watch not only this presentation, but all the other evidence from all the other presenters, 20 of them over two days at the red pill expo, then you will be, you will have an opinion that is informed. If you want to just wave your hand and say, what is with this COVID conspiracy crap, then you don't have an informed opinion. Trust me. We've been invited to speak also at the Advanced Medicine Conference in San Antonio a month ago, two months ago. And we did on the parallels of 9-11 and COVID. And uh, it looks like one of the most important presentations I've ever given because it connects those dots. It it creates the immutable awareness in the mind of people who are either already open to the conspiracy of COVID and who are not yet aware of the conspiracy of nine eleven, and vice versa. So let's all pull our heads out and be willing to look at some new evidence. And I'm not calling out Jeffrey Palmer. (laughs) I appreciate your very important uh, admonishment that uh, the deep state has hacked our great republic. And I'm trying to unhack it and I'm not going to stop. And Gail is not going to stop until we've achieved that. But guess what? We need your support. Gail's going to show you at the bottom of the screen how to provide that support because Right now, we're barely making it, in fact, we're not. Uh, There it is. So become a member, a sustaining supporter of Richard Gage 9-11 for just $7 a month. If you want to wake up the American people, then you need to support the tip of the spear of the 9-11 truth movement. Thank you. Gail?
1: Yes. Hello. What you got? Oh, so we have another um, sweet comment from Brian Boyle. He says, I don't know how you keep fighting all these years, but glad you do. Thank you, Richard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it, Brian. Sometimes I get a little riled up uh, because, you know, I've been at it 15 years myself. Started architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth 15 years ago with how many architects and engineers did we have, Gail? One. (laughs) One architect and engineer for 9-11 Truth. That became when I gave the presentation to the architects and engineers that I worked for at the time, 15 of them. I bought them pizza. I made them come in and watch 45 minutes. Most of them thought I was nuts before I gave them this presentation in 2006. Afterward, All of them agreed with me. Oh, my God, you're right. These are controlled demolitions. And since then, almost every one of the at least 650 presentations, maybe 700, that I've given since, uh, we polled the audience. And anywhere from 98% to 100% of them agree. Raising their hands. Yeah, that's a controlled demolition. This evidence, as you've seen in this webinar today, is absolute testimony to you of the efficaciousness of it in getting a real, uh, if we can get into an uncorrupt court. And we're making several attempts, as I've indicated already. uh, We will prevail. Absolutely will. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Brian. I appreciate that because guess what? This is not easy work. Gail and I work, I mentioned 100 uh, hours a week between us. Um, we're just always working. We get up in the morning, we work. <laughs> we're eating lunch, we work. We're eating dinner. Isn't that right, Gail? We're working yeah. through all of our dinners. We don't sit down and, 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 and take much of a break at all. But we're common.
1: having fun. We're having fun, and we're enjoying ourselves. Well,
0: I'm driven, All and good. yes, it is fun, isn't it? As we're having yes. fun together because we're working on a common mission together, side by side, isn't it amazing? Yes, it is. Yeah, you're fun. Yes. That's why it's fun. <laughs> I I have been having fun, and until until uh, until we had this horrible uh, disagreement over at AE911Truth,
2: oh.
0: about uh. Uh, how to respond to spike lee pulling his 30 minute segment on on the uh, 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 on hbo i mean he brought me to new new york to interview me as Brooklyn studio and i was just really uh, uh on fire and he was in tears she said i'm 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 gonna i'm gonna air this on september 11th in my mini series, but then he got all this pressure from HBO. And unfortunately, uh, he got, he also got put in his face, uh, an article, uh, well, uh, uh, information from an article that slate magazine posted and they, uh, in which I had more comments about COVID having been at a conference where I just saw 20 doctors giving real evidence about COVID, not the crap you see on CNN or 70% of your television budget uh, uh, of of the mainstream television budget supplied by big pharma, Pfizer, Moderna, et cetera. That shocked me, 70% of the budget. What do you think they're going to be showing on their news programs when 70% of their budget is paid for? By big pharma nothing no. that contradicts the official narrative i assure you anyway that that um that's enough on that topic kill <laughs> let's see if there's any more comments that i shouldn't be expounding on oh yeah spike lee so i was saying that uh, ae911 truth was uh, Concerned because the PR consultant said, Oh my God, this is a huge problem. It's a PR problem for AE 911 truth. You guys have to re- release the CEO. What? Nobody even heard of this. This is not a PR problem. The PR problem created by the unwitting uh, decision after a fairly brutal Uh, vociferous argument at the board meetings as to whether to let the CEO go or not. Anyway, we lost narrowly. And uh, so I'm launched, and Gail is launched. We pulled her from her full time job. We're here and we're launched, and we're working full time together in a brand new enterprise, Richard Gage 911. And it's been eight months now, no, seven months, and uh, we're we're building slowly our base, and we don't have the eighty thousand people on our email list that Eighty Nine Eleven Truth has. We don't have the sixty thousand on our YouTube, um, but we're doing the work we need to do and we're reaching the people we need to reach. And we need your help to reach more. We need thousands more. Not because we're in a competition with the 9-11 truth. Um, because uh, the 911 truth movement needs all of us. Uh, we're a double barreled shotgun right now, coming right at the hull of the ship of denial of nine eleven truth. And we're just blasting away. And like Gail said, we're having fun doing it. AE911 Truth is doing an exceptional job on their end. So uh, we continue to support them. And uh, and uh, they're, 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 uh, they're uh, an awesome powerhouse because they have the 3,500 architects and engineers that we built up over time. And that's 30,000 years of technical credibility that you just can't mess with you're not going to be calling all those architects and engineers conspiracy theorists and getting away with it nope you can call me that now if you want but i'm giving the truth i'm connecting the dots and i'm not going to stop any more comments gail
1: (laughs) are you done okay um well michael C Watland says cannot view your production on Rumble for some reason. So I just thought I might take a minute to uh, address that. I did go to Rumble myself, and I was able to uh, view the video on yeah, live on Rumble. So I'm not sure why he was not able to. Um, and then Jack Boogie says, Jack "Are y'all? Biddy. Yeah, says are y'all on YouTube?" Uh, ben asking because I can't find you anymore. So you might take a moment and explain the situation on YouTube.
0: Yeah, Jack, um, we 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 put out um an article, which you can read at RichardGage911.org. Gail, if you could make sure the YouTube article is there actually on the website. I want to make sure I remembered to bring it over from our Substack magazine. But um we did have a channel called Richard gauge nine eleven. It got taken down. Hate speech is uh, the predominant problem we have over there. Now, did anybody hear me giving out or committing hate speech today? No, I don't do that. Uh, but that's what they call it. And, and that was the second and third strike against us on our YouTube channel. So I recreated it from another uh, email. Uh, Gmail, email. So um, we have it back up again. It already has one hate speech strike against it. These people are after me. I don't know what their problem is. We didn't have this many strikes in all of the years at on YouTube at AE nine eleven Truth, um, and and I'm I'm really not a hateful person. You can ask my wife. <laughs>
1: You were not hateful at all.
0: No, I'm a nice person. I I can get stern at times with regard to the deep state. Uh, I don't like false flag operations. I've never targeted individuals or groups with any kind of hatred. So I don't even know. I don't even know what the problem is. I mean, I'm I'm not I even one of these people who harps at um, at Israel for for being a part of this. Uh, so uh, there you go. Um, so we're going to be streaming to Rumble and Rockfin and putting up our, on our other platforms. You got a list there again? Yeah, why don't you name them off?
1: Yes. Oops, sorry. We are on, well, three different Facebook platforms um,
0: the video Accounts. platforms, what are they?
1: Yes, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, which we're working on the video for that, Rumble, Rockfin, Parlor, Odyssey, Newtube, Minds, TV, Float, Brighteon, and Bitshoot.
0: And so if you want to just uh, link to those, uh, go to the bottom of our website at richardgage911.org. You'll see them all there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is there another question?
1: You mean comment? Or comment? <laughs> comments only today yes there are no questions um Mel says 911 was an inside job and that is very true we all know that well,
0: can you prove that Mel um <laughs> yeah it, if well maybe maybe it was uh, Muslims uh, maybe Muslims hacked into the most highly secure buildings outside the Pentagon and including the Pentagon, by the way, uh, and, uh, and said explosives, um, maybe, maybe Muslims, uh, went to flying school regarding the Pentagon and failed and nevertheless was, were able to drive uh, fly a fly, uh, a jumbo jet, uh, an hour after the twin towers went down in the most secure airspace in the world outside the pentagon and ram right into it knocking out the auditors of the 3 2.3 trillion dollars that donald rumsfeld had announced the night before 911 was missing from the budget maybe muslims got into the towers and planted thermite, nanothermite, on each of the floors. So, I mean, truthfully, we don't really know we can use our intelligence and assume that it probably wasn't. But I think our safest bet is to show the evidence and not take a a political stance on whether or not it was an inside job, just let people come to their own conclusions. Now I'm I do the same thing Mel I I call a spade a spade but it depends what context I'm in. If I'm on my own platform here I'll call it a deep state false flag operation, not too dissimilar from the operations like the northwoods, operations like the the sacrificing of this lusitania started world war one not unlike the operation of hitler's um burning of the reichstag government building and blaming it on communists not unlike the operation of pearl harbor where It was very well known that the Japanese were coming. In fact, they were set up by our blockade of their oil. And they literally had no choice but to either stop their war effort, which would have been a better choice, or bomb Pearl Harbor. In fact, uh, we knew they were coming. We moved the best ships out of Pearl Harbor and left the old ones to be sacrificed along with the people in them. Robert Stinnett, Day of Deceit. Read it, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Like the false flag operation of Vietnam, where it was acknowledged that the Gulf of Tonkin incident never happened. There was no attack on the Pueblo. So these are the kinds of machinations that governments use to manipulate their populations, create an emotion and a climate of fear to manipulate them into going to war, which profits the arms industry, the oil industry, the uh, media, the, me- uh, the and, and other uh, industries creating many, many more billionaires in the process. So, yeah, I agree. <laughs> 9-11 was an inside job. You got me talked into it. Gail? Okay. All right.
1: Uh, Richard Cavonian says, never once heard hate speech in any of your broadcasts. You're a gentleman at all times. Not a single hair on your body.
0: <laughs> Not many left up here <laughs> that's for sure but no really i even when at well i almost did it even when uh, people act uh like you know complete assholes to me personally and there are a few of them out there right now i might call them a troll is that hate speech maybe it is i i uh i usually don't for for that reason but, I mean, people really ask for it. But I don't do it in a hateful way. I do it in a loving way. I call them names in a loving way, which I rarely do. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, thank you, Richard. I appreciate that vote of confidence. It's hard when you're at this for 15 years. Almost 16 now. Where is it? i got to do the math. Uh, and you know, you, you just got people who lag behind the curve of awareness on a massive scale. You've got people who are hurting you from inside the nine eleven truth movement, people who are not sincere. Uh, it just, it does take a toll, but still there's, there's no hate coming from me. It's just, I would call it a burden. How about you, Gail? What's your reaction?
1: Well, I mean, people are going to be people and there's always going to be so-called haters out there. And I believe the best weapon against all of them is love. And just, you know, we don't have to condone, we don't have to, um, definitely don't have to be, you know, uh, accept any kind of abusive behavior without standing up for ourselves. But um, no, I think for the most part, it's just most important just to ignore it and move on. I mean, our Mission is huge and important, and we can't be distracted or dragged down by those who are not on the same page or don't agree or for some reason have um, some issues in their own heart that make them lash out. So we don't know everybody's story, so we don't know what they're going through. So, yeah, don't take it personal. That's my motto. (laughs) You don't, huh? No. uh -uh. That's good. Nope. Just do my best. I mean, I'm not... Absolutely not perfect, and I will make mistakes, but I just all I can do is hope that others show as much grace for me as I try to show towards them.
0: Sweet. Okay. Any more comments? Nope. Okay, then guess what? That brings us uh, to uh, the summary of the work we've been doing today the Twin Towers in Extreme Heat. We looked at high rise fires, pyroclastic like clouds, molten steel and iron. Iron microspheres, thermite, nanothermite, which is not evidence of jet fuel, not evidence of destruction by fire, but something very incendiary. Before that, we looked at part two, the Twin Towers' explosive destruction. When we come back in July, the first Wednesday in July at 6 p.m. Pacific, we'll start over with the 47-story World Trade Center, Building 7, and uh, bring it to your attention We'll do this every month, the first three weeks of each month. It's explosive evidence. Use it. Get the evidence. Share it with people. Don't sit on it. Don't let people say, I didn't know. You didn't tell me. Why didn't you tell me? You want to look your grandkids in the eyes and said, I did everything that I could Mm-hmm. when they're living in a free state, much freer than we have now, or they're living in a tyranny. It's up to you. Thanks again. We'll see you guys at the next webinar. In fact, tomorrow night we'll be interviewing Eric Lawyer, firefighters for 9 11 Truth and Protecting All Protectors Alliance.org. Protectingall.org is the website. Eric Lawyer is amazing. Uh, I can't wait to see him. It'll be at 1 o'clock PM Pacific tomorrow, live right here. See you then.